Let's just stay for a moment with that vision of what is yet to come, standing in glory before the throne of God. So much of that life to come unimaginable to ourselves. And yet we know that because we will be with him forever, it must be surpassingly wonderful. We have looked back in that song to Jesus our Redeemer, dead and yet risen for us and our rescue. And we have spoken, we have sung too, of the Holy Spirit who has been left with us and is among us and works with us and for us, for the kingdom of God. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the future vision, for the past accomplishment and the present mission. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Please be seated. Andy's just going to heal something on the the projector, but uh, not to worry about that. Um, I feel very angry. I feel rather inadequate. I feel a bit guilty. I feel rather scared. These are all possible reactions to our church's vision. There are lots of positive reactions too, like, great, when do we get started? And also, well, that's exactly what I've been trying to do for the last 50 years. It's great, isn't it? But think for a moment about the possible negative reactions that some of us might entertain, especially about this bit of our church's vision. Our vision is to be a church of disciples who make disciples. Be honest with yourself. How do you react emotionally to that vision of making disciples? Could it be anger? A bit of anger? Um, Who are we or who am I to say that I've got something that other people need? Isn't that tantamount to saying I'm right and you're wrong? Well, what about inadequacy? I just wouldn't know where to start. Or what about feelings of guilt? I know I ought to be making disciples of others, but quite honestly, I feel like I'm some kind of Arctic river in the winter, frozen over at the mouth. And I know it's wrong. Or what about feelings of fear, scared. Scared that as soon as I step forward to begin to make the attempt to make disciples of others, they'll just laugh at me, or, unkindest cut of all, unfriend me. So, amidst the possibly negative, and certainly plenty of positive emotions, that many of us may 
feel about this part of our church's vision, making disciples. I'd like us to look into the passage that Louise has just read to us. Thank you, Louise. And be very glad if you could have it opened in front of you. In the church Bible, it's page 1092, Acts chapter 1 and the first eight verses. Andy, I think I'll recruit your help with this. Can you advance it for me? Yep, okay. We'll we'll see how we go. That's great, thank you. Um, So there's the passage. uh, But just to reiterate what Margaret explained earlier, the actual series that we are embarking on is in Acts chapter 6 to 12. But I've been invited... Um, and I'm very willing to comply with the invitation, just to go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 1 to reintroduce the book. Because everything that flows uh, in Acts right up to the end of chapter 28 will be flowing out of what happens in the first eight verses, and in particular, the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples and the great... um, the energy that he bequeaths in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I want to lift out for us all some encouragers for our mission, uh, within our vision, uh, from this passage, and see how we can get on, and see if we can be encouraged by God's word as we seek to fulfill God's mission among us together. I reckon there are Uh, I can find six uh, really distinct and great encouragements in this passage for our mission together. The first encouragement I find is that I see some signs here in this chapter of some continuing acts. Now, if you look at the title of this book of the Bible, if you've got an NIV in front of you, it just says Acts. It doesn't say whose acts, but we're used to calling this book the Acts of the Apostles, aren't we? Well, some clever dick about a century ago said, there's so much of the Holy Spirit in this book that perhaps we should should call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't argue with that particularly. But actually, you know, if you read the first verse, you'll find out that the Acts are in particular (laughs) something a bit different. You see that uh, Luke, the author of this book, writing to Theophilus, says, in my former book, now Luke's former book, of course, is the Gospel of Luke, he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, do you see the the implication? Now I'm going to write to you about what Jesus continued to do and teach. And so it is that Jesus, through his spirit, even after his ascension, which is recorded in this very passage, will continue to act. He will be constantly referred to, constantly preached, and by his spirit constantly empowering his disciples. Just one little hint. 
Very often in Acts, you'll see the apostles referring to, or, uh, or you'll see Luke referring to, the Lord. We kind of think that the word Lord is a catch-all for God, and kind of it can be, and maybe is. But very frequently, when Acts mentions the Lord, it makes the best sense for, for us to understand the Lord as being Jesus Christ, risen and ascended. Whichever way you take that, the, uh, the book of Acts is, I think, best thought of as the continuing Acts of Jesus. Now, the point is this, <laughs> that if Jesus is continuing to do his work through Acts and beyond, we are not alone. We can be encouraged because we're doing it with Jesus. Here's the second encouragement. Luke talks in verse 3 about many convincing proofs of Jesus' resurrection. Well, goodness gracious, they had to be convincing, uh, didn't they? Because what kind of material (laughs) was Jesus dealing with? He was dealing with a Peter who had thrice denied him. He was dealing with the rest of the disciples who ran away at the critical moment of his crucifixion. He is dealing with uh, with weak, uh, weak-willed, despondent, discouraged men and women. Well, the women have a lot more to say. (laughs) We can say a lot more about the women and their faithfulness. But the men, and particularly the apostles, were very weak and very discouraged. They needed to know that Jesus really was real, that he really was alive again. And Luke says he left many convincing proofs. Now, on the question of, you know, if somebody were to ask you, well, is there any evidence for the Christian faith? Um, I don't think you need to be a great expert or, 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 or hugely trained in what we call apologetics to at least begin to give an answer to that. The first place that I think I would be inclined to go if somebody says to me, is there any real evidence for the Christian faith? would be right back to the beginning of Luke's writings, to the first three or four verses of his gospel, where he says what he set out to do, to talk to the people, to visit the places where Jesus had ministered, to talk to the people who had met Jesus, to read what else other people had written. That's what he says in the first four verses of his gospel. Now, I think you can say to your friend, that's what Luke set out to do, not to write fairy tales... He set out to record what actually happened, what Jesus actually said and did. That was Luke's purpose. By all means, ask questions about how successful he was in achieving that purpose, but at least take seriously what he was trying to do, to leave a record of the historical Jesus with many convincing proofs of the key historical event of Jesus' resurrection from death. Here's a third encouragement, that we meet here some muddle-headed people. Well, they are the disciples. Do you see in verse uh, 6, So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a pretty muddle-headed question. 
The great reformer John Calvin famously said, there's many mistakes or many, as many errors in that question as there are words. But in fact, Jesus doesn't say, you've got it all wrong, that's the wrong question to ask. He does say, it's not for you to know the dates, the times, the season that God has set. On another occasion, Jesus said, even he himself didn't know. But he doesn't say this idea of God restoring his kingdom is complete nonsense. But what he does say as part of response is, but you will receive power and you will become my witnesses throughout the world. So it's not so much a question of God's kingdom being restored to Israel, but as God's kingdom spreading from Israel, far more wonderful than they had ever thought or imagined in their question. They weren't completely wrong, but they had a very limited view of what Jesus was about to instigate through his spirit. So, I'm encouraged by the fact (laughs) that Jesus talked graciously and patiently to muddle-headed people like them, like me, like you, to be honest, and still he can use us, even though we may not have got everything straightened out in what we fondly call our minds. Next, be encouraged by Jesus' clear commission. We have not been left to guess what Jesus wants us to do. Um, He tells his followers in verse 8 what he wants them to do. It's a command. It's not an invitation or a suggestion. It's a command. You will be my witnesses. Note, please, that these are the very last recorded words of Jesus during his earthly ministry, after his resurrection, before his ascension to glory. And there's something very significant and very moving, isn't there, about the last words, the last commission, the last request of people before uh, they depart this life. Um, I had uh, an uncle who died at quite a young age, but he left um, uh, not only a wife, but three children. An, uh, An elder son, the first was a son, and then two girls who were younger, And then the family adopted a further third girl later on. Now, pretty much the last thing that my uncle said to the son, who was the oldest of the the children, was, look after your sisters. And he became, even though he was only a teenager at the time, he became a surrogate father to those girls. And he has continued to be a sort of surrogate father for the rest uh, of all the years. And that was 55 years ago. (laughs) He took to heart his father's dying wish, his father's commission. And so it is with Jesus. His final words to his disciples have a particular impact, have a particular resonance, have a particular seriousness as he bequeaths to them and those who come after, uh, after uh, after them his intention for his mission, his gospel, and for the world. You will be my witnesses, he says in verse 8. Whoa, too many. Fifth encouragement. He has not left us on our own. He has come, in a sense, back in person by his spirit. So similar are they. He said back in John's gospel, I will come to you again, meaning, in that context, come to you by my spirit. 
And uh, this passage, short as it is, has several powerful mentions of the Holy Spirit, including in verse 5, this promise that in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's uh, an absolute tragedy that in the 1970s and 1980s in particular, this idea of the baptism with the Holy Spirit became a point of controversy amongst good Christians as they ended up debating endlessly about, well, are we baptised in the Holy Spirit when we first uh, put faith in Christ? Or, do we, or is a later stage of our, Christian, uh, of our walk with Jesus Christ that may happen days, weeks, months, or even years afterwards? A lot of debate about that. And don't get, uh, misunderstand me. The, the, the discussion is significant. What does the Bible teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? But the big danger with discussing the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we miss out on the experience. So I want, even with all my interest in doctrine and and what scripture teaches, I mean, I want to set aside, at least for the moment, this morning with you, the debate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and say to each of us, yes, but do we know his power? Do we know the Holy Spirit's power? Because that power is vital, is essential, Jesus says here, for his mission in the world. We are powerless to do anything of lasting value for the gospel without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us agree on that. Let's not just let that debate um, uh, put to one side and then just have an uneasy truce among us about what scripture says. Let us believe that we cannot do God's work for him and with him for the gospel without the power of of the Holy Spirit. Sixth encouragement is, uh, that I find in this passage is that I find here uh, an unfinished task. Jesus says again in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Then he says in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to all the ends of the earth. It will have a ripple effect. It will move out. Now, Acts records that, move, that, that movement from Jerusalem to Judea and, Jerusalem, uh, and, uh, and Samaria. And Acts finishes in Rome, with Paul in Rome. Hasn't yet reached the ends of the earth. Now, the end of Acts is interesting uh, in a variety of ways. But it seems to me that unlike many books of the Bible, Acts almost seems to peter out. <laughs> as though Luke is telling what he knows to be an unfinished story. There is still a volume three being written. Volume one, Gospel of Luke. Volume two, the Acts that we have in front of us here. Volume three, the continuing acts of Jesus by his spirit down through the ages, right down to the present age. There is indeed an unfinished task. And that should be an encouragement. There is something, and there's nothing, nothing better than something that needs to be done to make you do it. If there's no housework that needs to be done, well, just put your feet up. Um, there is a need there that Jesus wants to recruit us to serve. 
So six, I think, encouragements from this passage for us to serve Jesus in, in his mission by the power of the Spirit. Now let me just bring these home just a little bit more in my final few minutes. If, these, if this book consists of the continuing acts of Jesus and Jesus continues to work amongst his people in the world by his Spirit then we are not doing Jesus' work for him. We are doing Jesus' work with him. Isn't that great? We work with him. He has the truth. He has the light. He has the power. We are hand in hand with him. If Jesus has left many convincing truths of his resurrection and therefore of his continued life, then... Don't ever let anyone tell tell you there's not enough evidence. There is. I say again, you don't have to be an expert in apologetics and know all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know, (laughs) to all kinds of questions. But what I would like you, I do urge you to be clear uh, clear about is you can be clear that what the Bible records in the Gospels in, in Acts is historically true and there is plenty of evidence uh, to support that. You can't find corroborating evidence for everything, but, you can, but no, no, cl- no historical claim that Luke, for example, ever made has ever been historically disproved. Have confidence in the historical truthfulness of the Bible generally, of the Gospels and Acts in particular. If Jesus is dealing here in this chapter with muddled headed people, if you count yourself as, pardon my English, a bit of a fathead, you're in good company. <laughs> None of us know it all. I sometimes like uh, this, uh, this expression. None of us knows a quarter of 1% about anything, when you think about it. <laughs> but um, if you're a Christian today, you know enough, because you know Jesus. You read, I hope, your Bible. (laughs) You know something. We all may be muddled about various things and have um, interesting, even vigorous disagreements about certain things that do matter. But hopefully we are agreed about the things that matter most. And not to worry too much about these other things. It's not so much a question of, you know, have we got it all right, but how close are we to the centre of the Christian faith, namely Jesus himself? If Jesus has given a clear commission to his disciples, then let's do the job. And the job is tell them about Jesus. There are kind of other things that belong to the Christian faith as well. Essential components, sharing the love of God, living a life that's consistent with our confession, um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But the gospel cannot be told without words. You cannot tell the gospel without words. And the words are words primarily about Jesus. Not about what Jesus has done for me, my personal testimony, that's great too. But words about Jesus. Read uh, Peter's uh, sermon great Pente- uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. 
He starts off with an explanation from Scripture as to why everybody's speaking in tongues, and he goes straight to the bullseye. Jesus is what he then talks about from beginning to end. Stephen, who we'll talk about uh, next Sunday morning, Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr, um, doesn't start with Jesus, he starts with Abraham. But he makes, a bull, uh, he makes a beeline for Jesus, and Jesus is reached by the end of his sermon. And at the very end of Acts, the last six verses of the book of Acts, uh, end of chapter 28, we have Paul in Rome teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Point them to Jesus. Tell them the story of Jesus. That's the gospel. It's not a formula. It's telling what you know and what you've experienced about Jesus. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit sends us. The entire Holy Spirit is behind our mission. God didn't send us on our mission until Father, Son, and Spirit had got behind it. Isn't that an encouragement? And we face an unfinished task, but the gospel is unstoppable. At, uh, chapter 6 to 12 show how, under increasing adversity, the gospel spreads, demonstrating one of the great laws of thermo- thermodynamics. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. We'll be learning more about that in the weeks to come. For the moment, let's pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have left your spirit on earth until your work is done. We thank you that whoever and whatever we are, we are called to be a part of that work, a part of that mission. Lord, grant us truth and grace and love enough that we want to embrace that mission wholeheartedly and with joy. Amen.